Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Inside Intercom. This week, we're focusing on a facet of product building that adds value to all parts of your business. User research. You can never be close enough to your users, and doing so is key to marketing the right ones, retaining them long-term, and creating an experience that delivers on their job to be done. Joining us to help explain how to put in place a team and strategies that do just that is Monal Chakshi, head of UX research at the popular ride-sharing service, Lyft. Monal joined Lyft in 2015 as its very first researcher and was tasked with building and scaling their research department, something she'd done successfully before over at SoundCloud. She's also held research roles at Intuit and Yahoo. In a chat with Intercom senior product researcher Jillian Wells, Monal explains how she's gone about embedding researchers in each of Lyft's product teams. They can really speak to the user needs, the product opportunities, and the design that is required to enable those users to be happy and enjoy the experience. The unique challenges her team faces in a dual-sided marketplace. The drivers and passengers are very different users with very different jobs to do. And why guerrilla research, a muscle she likens to her own dating lives, is the user research gateway drug that every startup needs. I've just seen many folks start to understand the value of interacting with users in this way and then want to invest in having user researchers on board to do real research. If you like what you hear and want to check out our full archive of interviews, just subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. While you're there, shoot us a rating or a review. Your feedback helps us improve the show and bring new listeners aboard along the way. And now, let's hop in the studio with Jillian Wells and Monal Chakshi. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Monal, welcome to the show. To kick things off, could you tell us a little bit about your career in research and what you're doing these days at Lyft? Sure, and thanks, Jillian. I'm excited to be here. And just for some context on Lyft, for those who might not be familiar, Lyft is the fastest-growing on-demand transportation service in the U.S., and for anyone who hasn't used Lyft, it's as easy as downloading the app, tapping a button, and having a car arrive to your location within minutes to take you where you'd like to go. So I feel pretty lucky to have had the career path that I've had leading me to Lyft, Uh, I found my passion for UX research pretty early on, and um, it all started when I was at Stanford in the mid-90s. I did my undergraduate degree in symbolic systems, which is an interdisciplinary major consisting of classes from computer science, philosophy, psychology, and linguistics, and my concentration was in human-computer interaction. So when I started working in the late 90s, it was right in the middle of the dot-com era, and um, I was what you might call a UX generalist. So I was doing everything from user research to product design and some front-end coding even. And, um, you know, at that time, there was no term like UX or user experience. So it was very early on, and folks kind of wore a lot of hats, especially at the startups I was working at. So uh, after, you know, working at a few startups, I I realized that my true passion and what I was really excited about was understanding more about the users and their needs in order to inform really good design. So I decided to go back to graduate school at UC San Diego in order to focus solely on moving forward with UX research. Do you feel like your undergrad career also kind of prepared you for 
that research to do, or did you kind of get more into it once you were in the field? I think it definitely did prepare me for that. In fact, I did an internship um, while I was in undergraduate um, at Boeing, and I was uh, working in a usability lab. So that was my first experience really getting to do some you know, user testing and research to see what that was like. So I entered the workforce full time with that experience and, you know, those thoughts in mind. How was the transition after you graduated with a graduate degree? It Was it in HCI? Yeah. So my graduate degree was in cognitive science with a concentration in human-computer interaction. And so I went to UCSD because... The folks there, there were some research labs that were focused on using ethnographic research Mm -hmm. methodology in order to understand users in real-world situations and how their social and cultural environments shape their behaviors. And so this, to me, was really interesting. I'd had a little bit of experience doing field research and was really interested by it and thought it was a very impactful way to learn about users, and then apply that to design. So that's... Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's basically how I chose to go there and working on the research in the research labs there. And in fact, I, I did some research. Uh, my master's thesis was on, funded by Nissan, and uh, was understanding... I was doing an ethnography of drivers in cars. Oh, really? So okay. now I've come full circle. <laughs> yeah. Because I've... Um, after... UCSD, I began work as a UX researcher. I worked at Yahoo and then eventually started building and leading teams at Intuit Mm -hmm. and SoundCloud in Berlin and now at Lyft. So speaking of Lyft, I'm curious what the state of research was like at Lyft when you arrived. Yeah, so I was hired as the first official researcher at Lyft about two years ago. And at that time, the design team there had been looking for the right match to fill the role. And it took them a little while. I was lucky enough to to be there at the right time. But overall, the company by then was very, very hungry for insights. So while Lyft didn't have researchers on board from the start, they've always invested in some kind of formal studies and forms of lightweight research Mm -hmm. along the way. So, for example, and I love telling the story because it's really indicative of, like, the culture at Lyft and what our founders care about. Mm -hmm. In the early days, the entire Lyft team, including our founders, Logan and John, would respond to customer support tickets um, and aiming to just better understand and address our users' needs and pain points. And they also did and continue to do what I'd call guerrilla research, like observing and chatting with Lyft drivers in their cars to better understand how Lyft is doing and how well the product is working for them as they drive. And in fact, they both drive as Lyft drivers themselves to stay in touch with, you know, the driver's perspective. What would you say kind of drives that curiosity? Like what led them to do something as simple as just observation or like trying out the experience themselves? Um, yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, the the vision that they have is what they, leads them to do this and also what drives the company. So the mission as a company for Lyft is to improve people's lives with the world's best transportation. 
And as a principle, Lyft aims to treat people better. So because user-centered goals have always been part of our founder's vision, and it's really kind of part of Lyft's core DNA, UX research is an important strategic aspect of accomplishing our mission at Lyft, and thus, you know, the founders are really involved with kind of having that hands-on experience to understand what that means. How has research at Lyft changed since you've arrived? Since I was the first researcher there, you know, it's kind of building things from scratch, similar to when I was at SoundCloud. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do this again, but I'm going to do it even better. (laughs) Um, So there was definitely a need and a desire from the get-go to do user testing, Mm -hmm. as I'd mentioned earlier. It happens a lot with um, startups. And at that time, Lyft was, you know, a few hundred people. And I worked very closely and as part of the design team. Mm -hmm. So my first goal was to set up an ongoing iterative user testing program. And so I was lucky enough to have uh, another team member join. And uh, we worked together to get that going. But what we ended up doing was a lot of tactical research in the very beginning because it was a lot of like, hey, let's prove what we've got going on. Let's, you know, make a name for research, show our value, work closely with the design team. And then over time, we've gotten to do a lot more strategic research as well. And also as the team has grown. So once we proved our value, I think we were able to hire more folks and grow the team and then start bringing in more strategic initiatives, answering bigger, more challenging questions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're really trying to fill some of the foundational gaps that we had early on. But, you know, it's kind of a balance of what you use your time for and building that uh, out the value that the company needs immediately and then coming back and then showing them more about what you can do and then them seeing that value as well. And, of course, this just kind of grows upon itself, and the team eventually continues to grow when people see what you can do. Yeah, yeah, that's really exciting. I think it's it's a pretty exciting thing to see people get exposed to research for the first time and then get really excited about it and understand it. So Definitely. It's be a fun experience. So you mentioned guerrilla research earlier, and that's actually one of the reasons that we were really excited to have you on the show. We had heard a great talk that you gave a few months back. I'm curious how you would define guerrilla research. Sure. So I call guerrilla research um, a way to get impromptu and informal feedback from users. So most often this entails quick and dirty user testing of your product or a prototype, say, uh, with easily accessible folks. So and and typically this is more than just showing them some screens and asking if they like it. It's about observing their use of it and learning where they struggle. When is it most useful? Well, um, first I must provide the caveat that I think most researchers would be remiss to call guerrilla research a real form of research. So um, you know it's kind of spur of the moment nature and. It doesn't really allow for us to control for the factors that are necessary when conducting real research. So relying solely on guerrilla research, per se, is risky, (laughs) as we can't really use it to make reliable business or product decisions. So that all said, I mean, I think guerrilla research is really just a lightweight way to get feedback that's not a replacement for real research. And I think it's best to use 
guerrilla research at times when, for teams especially, who are not doing any research at all, who are not talking to their users at all. I can give an example of when I was at SoundCloud, for example, and I first started there, I recall meeting with a PM and a designer who had been debating the design of a new feature. And when I found out that their debate had been going on for days, I was like, "This, <laughs> you guys, like, let's just go out there and see how people are reacting to it. So we went out to a local coffee shop to do some quick and dirty guerrilla research. And we were able to, to find and quickly test a prototype of the feature with a handful of users. And it was a really eye-opening experience for both the designer and the product manager who had really not done any kind of research before. Mm -hmm. And much to their surprise, uh, the issue that they were debating was not even on the table for these users. Um, a quick round of testing revealed an entirely different issue to consider, and they immediately started taking this new perspective into account. So as a result, you know, they saw the value of getting feedback from users and became user research converts and kept asking me to lead more research. So I kind of see guerrilla research as being a gateway drug to real user <laughs> research. <laughs> and um, I've just seen many folks start to understand the value of interacting with users in this way and then want to invest in having user researchers on board to do real research. Did their perspective about like approaching problems change as well? Like were they bought into the same arguments that they were having or was it, did it kind of help them start to understand like what problems might be relevant to their user base? Sure. I think it really changed their perspective. From then on, they wanted to do more research and testing, and they're like, what else can we do? <laughs> so uh, anytime like one of these debates started coming up, they were like, we need to do some more of that user testing and you know, <laughs> things like this. So they, they really saw that value. And then when I started bringing about you know, other kinds of research and understanding users, um, different kinds of methodologies, they started to see more about, hey, user research isn't just testing. Yeah. And learning more about, hey, like, this is actually a really good thing to invest in up front. You have a really nice metaphor for guerrilla research. And the fact that many of us have already used the principles behind it, you compare guerrilla research to our dating lives. Can you walk us through this? <laughs> Definitely. You know, it's funny because I have a pretty outgoing personality, but it's always a bit nerve-wracking when you randomly approach someone you don't know to participate in research. So I, I thought of the dating analogy for doing guerrilla research because it's that same kind of feeling when you go up to talk to a stranger in a bar <laughs> or for dating purposes or maybe even for research. So and I, then I started thinking through it and there's just so many parallels. So I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> this could be a really good metaphor for teaching people how to do guerrilla research. So in my product tank talk, I discussed five key principles that can be applied to guerrilla research as well as your dating life. So the, the first principle is to choose your target audience. We do this in our dating lives already. You know, we may look to meet folks who share similar interests or hobbies. Let's say I'm a rock climber. I might meet someone who I, I'm really excited to you know, talk to and possibly date at the climbing gym. So we know who we want to 
date potentially and, you know, where to find them. And similar with guerrilla research, you need to know who your product's target audience is as well as figure out where to easily access them. Um, so you can't get worthwhile feedback unless you're talking to the right audience. Right. So, so that's the first principle. Um, principle number two that I discussed is to let them do the talking. So now that, you know, going back to guerrilla research, now that you've met the, the person that you want to target and they've agreed to participate in a, a testing session, let's say, when you're getting feedback on your product, your main goal is to listen and to encourage your users to keep talking. So you want to ask open-ended questions such as why or tell me more about that. But you really want to encourage them to keep talking so that you can learn what they are thinking while they're you know, doing the tasks that you give them with your product. So similarly with dating, you know, it's always a good tactic to show genuine interest in someone and asking questions and actively listening. So this kind of fits as well with uh, dating is you want to let them do the talking. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So the third principle, this one's stretching a little bit, but is to not <laughs> ask leading questions. So as you know, as a researcher, leading questions are a, a really, you have to have a really trained moderator to do this well. But um, a leading question could bias a user into answering a question in a certain way, which you don't want for research. So for example, asking, isn't this feature useful? May lead users to agree with you rather than come up with their own impression. So a better question in that case would be, what do you think of this feature? Um, and I don't have to tell you this, Jillian, but um, with dating, you know, let's say you, you meet someone, you might not want to assume anything about them or what they're interested in. So, you know, instead of asking a leading question about what their interests are, it might be best to leave it open-ended and ask, hey, what kinds of things do you like to do? I think that one's great for dating. Then you're not pushing people in to the wrong direction. True, yeah. So. <laughs> Um, so the fourth principle is to pay close attention to what they do. And this one I think is definitely applicable for dating, <laughs> especially those first dates, those online dates. Um, so, you know, for guerrilla research and research in general, this comes from the idea that people often say one thing but do another. And so even if users say that, hey, like, I think this product is great, it's so easy to use – um, you may have observed some pitfalls that they encountered, or you might have noticed some confused facial expressions that they had as they were using the product. And so what they say is different from what they do, but you're still getting to see where they had issues and trouble. And now with dating, you know, body language can play a huge part in understanding the difference between what people are saying and what they're actually doing. So what they're doing might be a cold shoulder, but they don't want to be mean, so they might say something nice. But right. reading body language is very important. And the final principle was to show appreciation. So... You know, buying someone a coffee can not only entice them to participate in your guerrilla session, but it's also a great way to show that you valued their time and feedback. And when dating, of course, it's always respectable to thank someone for a great night out. 
Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. We're here with Mono Chakshi, head of UX research at Lyft. So, Mono, you've built out the research teams at Lyft and previously at SoundCloud. There are a lot of different paths into this field. What do you look for in a researcher? Yeah, I agree. There's definitely many paths and... It's one of the things that I love about our field, you know, we just have people entering from so many different perspectives and it creates a really nice diversity. Um, but overall, I mean, there's lots of traits that are important to me when considering who to hire. I mean, obviously, it's great to have people who are, have experience with UX research already, mm-hmm. but also, you know, we always look to bring on folks who are more junior and to help them grow as well. So... I have three main kind of qualities, key qualities I look to when considering a candidate. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of generalized for any kind of level. Right. But uh, the first is, you know, looking at their ability to empathize with others. So as a user researcher, I think being empathetic is at the core of what we do. And, you know, we need to be good listeners, active listeners, and to feel comfortable when trying to truly understand others' perspectives. Mm-hmm. So without being able to do that, it's it's really hard to, you know, collect good data. Mm-hmm. And then the second quality is analytical thinking. Mm-hmm. It's a, just a key component of being able to turn the data that you collect into insights and then also into recommendations. So having, you know, a, a nice way to point to the data that got you to get to the recommendation, I think, is really key for teams to buy in to those insights. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, it might be overlooked a lot of times, but I really feel that project management skills are key to the success of a researcher. And so, you know, we're often managing several things at once, sometimes for several studies. But for every study, you know, we need to manage stakeholders, participants, 
facilities. And of course, all the data needs to be super organized in order for you to be able to find your way <laughs> through the masses. So it's important that researchers are, manage, are able to manage their time well, stay organized, and really have an eye for detail. How have you gone about structuring your team? Early on, we started out with a more kind of service model because we were so small. Mm -hmm. And now I'm moving towards a model where there are dedicated researchers for each of kind of like our what we call our pods. Mm -hmm. So there we have passenger-facing products, driver-facing products, mm -hmm. enterprise products, and products for autonomous vehicles. And so we have dedicated researchers now for each one of these four pods. And my goal is to empower each of the researchers who are working in these pods to be able to become the expert for that product area. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, they know everything that they need to about that user. They're the expert on the set of users who are using those products. And they can really speak to the user needs, the product opportunities, and the design that is required to enable those users to be happy and, uh, you know, enjoy the experience. Do you guys kind of come together to uh, share that knowledge and kind of all the researchers are exposed to the same level of insights? Definitely. There's UX research at Lyft, and then we also have a couple of other research teams. Okay. We have a brand and consumer insights team. Oh, cool. And uh, they do a lot of work with our marketing organization. Um, and then we also have, like, policy researchers mm -hmm. who work in our government relations team. Okay. So we have a couple, you know, a few different pods of research across the company. And um, I hold like a monthly meeting actually for all of the researchers. So we are able to collaborate, exchange ideas, and really ensure that, you know, we're not duplicating efforts because in past companies I've seen that happen where you have a market researcher and a UX researcher who are trying to tackle very similar questions mm -hmm. and almost doing the same study sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And I did not want that to happen at Lyft. So because I was the first researcher, I was, you know, I was in this kind of a luxurious position to say, oh, you know what, I can actually make sure this doesn't happen. Yeah. So it's been really nice to have this community. Yeah. And um, you get to hear about what's going on all across the company as well. But uh, we're there for each other and um, there to collaborate as well. And, um, you know, just the UX research team, we meet weekly. I mean, yeah. we all kind of sit together. So it's, it's very easy for us to collaborate. Cool. That sounds like a great environment. As the head of research, are you still regularly interfacing with customers? So it's in the beginning, as I mentioned, um, I was hands-on. I was in the trenches. I was doing it all. Um, and as the team has grown, I've moved further and further away from being able to do the hands-on research. So in some ways, um, it's very you know, empowering to be able to really work towards having research influence the organization. But I do miss the, the hands-on research and the ability to be out in the field and, you know, run sessions. However, I do get some exposure to that through my team. So I will, you know, mentor folks and sometimes run a study together with someone. Mm -hmm. And that's that's been really fun because I still get to have my hands in it a little bit. But it's not as much as it used to be. And I'm sure as we continue to grow, those opportunities won't be as, as often. But I, I do really like to 
um, get in there whenever I can. Lyft is a dual-sided marketplace, so you have both um, users um, who are getting a ride and you have drivers, and ultimately these people are hiring your product for very different jobs. What unique challenges does that present from a research perspective? Yeah, I mean, I agree. The the drivers and passengers are very different users with very different jobs to do. Mm -hmm. So we look at each of them very differently and consider them separately when mapping out their user journeys. Uh, What's really interesting to me is that this is a dual-sided marketplace, as you mentioned, but it's not just digital. So the two sets of users actually intersect in the real world at some point along the journey. And, you know, the user experience converges inside of a contained vehicle, which is moving from one physical space to another. So in some ways, this is kind of like mind blowing to me. (laughs) Um, And I think it's like really interesting. Uh, One of the the kind of challenges that, you know, in a study that we we did recently was with our new AMP. So Mm -hmm. and this is one of the studies where I actually got to play researcher alongside one of the other researchers on our team. Mm -hmm. So the AMP is kind of for those who know Lyft, it's the new glow stash. So it's a, a lighted device that is on the driver's dashboard that lights up and the color matches the color on the, the passenger's app so that passengers and drivers can more easily find each other. And so we had been doing some research with the AMP, some user testing and some UX research to really understand you know, there's a whole setup process for drivers, and we wanted to really understand also how well it was working for passenger users. So we decided to do a, a user testing study with both drivers and passengers simultaneously. Okay, that's exciting. So it was fun because um, myself and Nathan, who's a researcher on my team, ran the study simultaneously, and he had the drivers start over at our driver hub and set up the amp and then make their way driving towards our Lyft office in Soma. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I was running a study with our passenger user and hearing all about how they request rides and watching them request a ride, and we had it set up so that that passenger could request that car. Okay. So we were running a study simultaneously, and Nathan, with the driver, would drive up, text me, and tell me he was on his way, so I knew when to ask the the passenger to request a ride. Yeah. And so it all worked very seamlessly, but it was very cool because they would pull up in, in their car, and then we would get in, and then we'd have the two researchers in the back and the driver and the passenger together, so it all came together in this car. And then we got dropped off, and then I got to do debrief with the passenger, Mm -hmm. and then he drove back to the driver hub with the driver and was able to do debrief with the driver. So I think this is what makes it interesting is kind of coming together in a car. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's where where you see the dual-sided marketplace converge. Yeah, definitely. I hadn't thought of that way that the experiences really do come together once you get into the car. But it it is really exciting, I think, to think about your digital product like out there in the real world. Mm -hmm. Lyft just announced 54 new cities in late February. Your footprint is growing at a lightning rate. What's the biggest challenge when it comes to scaling your team's work alongside this? Yeah, to be honest, like there's always more work that can be done. So that said, you know, I really look to ensure that my team is taking on the most impactful work that we can be doing. 
So in, alongside of taking into account our company goals, I work closely with our product and design partners to ensure that we're tackling the highest priority projects for the company. Mm-hmm. And each quarter, we also aim to get out to various markets to conduct research, as I had mentioned. So while we won't make it to every market, as you mentioned, <laughs> yeah. we're, you know, we're growing now. We operate in over 300 cities Uh, But we'll conduct various types of research, such as surveys and diary studies, to ensure that we're getting input about the user experience across the various markets. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Lyft as a whole must be growing and hiring like crazy. What has your team done to help democratize access to research across the company while amid such a high growth? Sure. I mean, I see a big part of our role as user researchers to not just do the research, but to also tell the story of our users to help grow empathy for them across the company. So my goal is for us to influence our team's ways of thinking so that we're all focused on creating user-centered products with the right insights in mind. So that said, every researcher on my team has a goal of presenting their work at a company or a large team meeting uh, each quarter. So you guys are sharing research insights pretty regularly. Yes, definitely. I mean, we work closely with our project teams and direct stakeholders for the research, but then we're looking to share as much as possible on a, on a widespread level. Do you guys have any... Um other tactics for sharing research insights, like um, creating posters or like pamphlets or anything like that that you guys like to do? Yeah. So one of the things that um, I have a goal for my team this year is to really focus on delivering insights uh, that go beyond the screen and beyond, um, you know, decks. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're engaging more with doing workshops and finding creative ways to be able to deliver insights that are much more memorable and that um, will really prompt action on the part of the folks who are in the audience, you know, who are involved and participating in in the workshop. So that's often like product managers, engineers, and of course, our, our designers. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I think we'll leave it there. Monal, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so much for having me, Jillian. This is really fun. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com. <laughs>